I think what puts us on a path of health perfectionism is that deep soul need for certainty, but we displace it because it's never something that other people can give us through their directions or expertise. It's something we have to feel in our bones because we're listening to our body. Hey guys, and welcome back to episode 35 of That's So Maven. We have a great guest on the show today, and it's kind of a longer episode, so I'm going to try and keep the intro short, um, or on the shorter side. I'm going to do what I can, but I am currently recording this from Minnesota. I am here visiting Kurt's family. Kurt is from Minnesota. I think most of you know that by now, but in case you don't... (laughs) That's where he's from, and I absolutely love spending time here. It was actually kind of a sudden trip, and I was supposed to be on a press trip to Grand Cayman, which things ended up getting reshuffled, and it just really makes me appreciate having a flexible schedule and also being a place in my life where I can change plans on the fly and not be so anxious about it when there was a time in my life when I wouldn't have been able to handle that and that would have been really overwhelming. So sometimes in these more challenging moments in life, we realize how much we've actually grown and it's actually kind of cool. But like I said, I'm going to try and keep this intro short want to spend as much time as I can with Kurt's family and let you guys listen to the episode. So we have Lauren Geertsen on the show today. She has an incredible story about living with chronic illness, healing her body. We chat about Mio Energetics, her company that creates essential oil blends and flower blends that help with energy medicine. We're talking about what it means to be an empath, to be a health perfectionist. We talk about so many things. It's crazy. When I was listening back on this episode, I was like, wow, we covered a lot of ground. But it's a really powerful episode, and I think there's something for everyone in this show. So I really hope you guys enjoy it. If you do, as always, please leave a review on iTunes. It just helps more people find the show because the more reviews we have, the more people can find the show because there's algorithms and as frustrated as these things make me, that's just how the game is, unfortunately. And my goal is really to get this show out to as many people as possible because I think every episode offers some kind of lesson that can help people on their journey. So if you want to help the show out, if you want to help me out, please leave a review on iTunes. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. It would just mean the world to me if you could do that. And if you want to keep the conversation going, please join the THM tribe. It's really an awesome group of humans where we get to talk about all sorts of things, including stuff we talk about on the show, stuff that doesn't involve the show, stuff on the blog, stuff I talk about in videos. There's a lot of stuff going on. So it's nice to have a place where we can kind of hash it out. So if you want to join the THM tribe, it's just facebook.com slash group slash THM tribe. And with that, I think we should just jump into the show. So here's Lauren. Enjoy. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. So I wanted to just jump right in because I think that your story is really interesting. And as I was mentioning before we hopped on the call, I think it's really different from a lot of the previous guests we've had on the show. So I'm excited to, you know, learn more about you and how you got to where you are. So if you want to jump into that, I think that'd be great. Absolutely. I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. Uh, I know a lot of people's healing journeys start with the moment they got the big diagnosis. So that happened for me when I was 14. And uh, it was a very painful, rather traumatic experience, dealing with a lot of time in the hospital and not knowing what was happening for quite a while. And um, so when I was first hospitalized, I was told that it was an autoimmune disease uh, called ulcerative colitis. And it was why my intestines were in so much pain and bleeding. So I was told, of course, to take medications that they provided me. And over the next four years, I was experiencing flares of the disease on and off. And uh, it it was quite challenging being in high school, as I'm sure you can imagine, and dealing with this very severe illness. So there were great periods in high school where I was, the medication was working and I was feeling healthy, but then I would have this extreme crash. It was usually stress-induced. And at those points, it usually meant I would have to switch to a different medication because the previous one was no longer strong enough. 
So I cycled through many medications. The side effects were quite challenging. And then uh, things really came to a peak when I went to college. So I was 18. I had to leave my first semester of college because I really couldn't function. I could barely walk to my classes. That was very challenging because I was also in the dance program. I really wanted to build my life around dance, but my health wasn't allowing that. So I felt very crushed. It was that point in my life where I felt like, okay, now my dreams have just been washed down the drain. And uh, so the real first dark night of the soul, and we've all, we've all gotten there, where it's the point where we feel like we just can't resuscitate what we had always longed for or dreamed for in our life. So I got back home. I was told by my doctors I was probably going to have to have my colon removed and have a, um, it's a colostomy bag instead of your large intestine. And when I heard this, I realized, oh, if that happens, then I really won't be able to dance again. Like, that's really going to impair my movement. So dance was really the way, the access that I had to my soul. So it sounds funny that it took me so long and so much struggling to get to the place where I was ready to throw myself into nutrition. But I needed to hear that, um, that potentially dancing was no longer going to be an option for me before I could say, okay, I'm going to opt out of the medical system and I'm going to try to do this with nutrition. So I found a book called the specific, um, Breaking the Vicious Cycle, which outlines what's called the specific carbohydrate diet. And later it was created as the foundation of the GAPS diet. So Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride took this foundation and added a lot more, um, healing foods and supplements to it. So I started with this specific carbohydrate diet and that um, led me to try the GAPS diet as well. And basically three days after starting this nutrition protocol, I had no more acute symptoms. And three months later, I had chosen to taper off all of my medication because I no longer needed it. So at that point, I thought this uh, this is it. And I started a little blog called Empowered Sustenance to share what I had experienced um, in terms of the healing through this nutrition protocol and also the recipes I was making to enjoy foods on this protocol. Wow. I mean, it's an amazing story to hear that you've been able to go from, you know, being on all sorts of medications to really being able to heal your body with food. And I'm wondering if we could maybe kind of expand on the the two diets that you, you spoke about, because I'm sure there are people who are listening who are maybe not familiar with them and how exactly that was able to help your um, ulcerative colitis. So would you mind kind of explaining sort of the connection between the two and, and how it was actually able to help? Absolutely. So what was most important for me is that the book outlining the specific carbohydrate diet told me how my body worked and told me how my intestines worked and why I was experiencing disease. And believe it or not, this was something I never got from my doctor's office. They just told me, well, your body's attacking your intestinal tissue, so take some medication. And I read this book and it explained that specific forms or molecular structures of carbohydrate feed pathogenic bacteria in our gut and also wear down um, and damage what's called the microvilli of the small intestine, which are these very, very like almost hair-like, finger-like projections on the lining of our small intestine. And they're very vulnerable and they are what absorb nutrients. Um, so when we're eating highly refined starch-based carbohydrates, and we already have compromised gut function or compromised gut flora, the bacteria that line our intestines, then we get set up for disease. What happens is pathogenic bacteria overgrow and the, um, this, it's called the tight junctions between the intestinal cells. Um, there's like, you can kind of imagine cement between 
bricks, like the mortar between the bricks, that almost dissolves in a way, and also pathogenic bacteria create or contribute to the degradation of the intestinal lining. And this is what's called leaky gut, which is now much more publicized than it was. So I first learned about leaky gut and how that contributes to autoimmune disease from this book, Breaking the Vicious Cycle. So what happens when leaky gut is established, then we have partially undigested proteins from the foods we're eating. Those can go through the um, now the gaps between the small intestinal cells. Those undigested proteins enter the bloodstream and are perceived as foreign objects because we're only supposed to have fully digested proteins in the form of amino acids, not um, partially broken down protein in our bloodstream. And the body mounts an immune attack. It's like, oh, there are invaders in my blood. I'm going to go attack that protein. Um, and then that actually leads to the, the body having these high levels of antibodies, which trigger the body to produce what's called autoantibodies, which translate to like self antibodies. So these molecules that um, actually attack our own body tissue. In different autoimmune diseases, these autoantibodies would attack, for example, the thyroid tissue and Hashimoto's. So it really depends on where these autoantibodies choose to attack. So I understood this, that my gut health was in dire straits and the foods I was eating was perpetuating that state of autoimmunity. And I also learned that I could choose to eat foods that would instead heal my gut lining. And uh, so I took out starch-based carbohydrates. Um, this includes, you know, um, like wheat, all gluten grains, of course, but also other grains, including rice, um, even plantains, other natural starches. And because of the carbohydrate structure that those foods have. Um, and this is also the same in the GAPS diet. You take out all the starch-based carbohydrates and you emphasize um, natural, healthy proteins. Uh, and I learned about this when I started going more into the GAPS diet, which is the importance of, for example, grass-finished meat and wild fish, um, lots of fermented food, which help repopulate the gut with the healthy bacteria needed to bring down the levels of pathogenic bacteria, also plenty of healthy fats. Um, so this absolutely changed my perspective on um, why the body needs old-fashioned saturated fats, especially from things like coconut oil or grass-fed butter. So giving my body lots of nutrients and removing the foods that were perpetuating this poor state of gut health. Wow. So really, I mean, you were able to reverse... I, I I don't know if reverse is necessarily the word, but you were able to essentially, I guess, heal your body just by simply choosing to eliminate certain foods that were perpetuating your poor gut health and then adding in foods that actually made it better. And I think that that's really, really powerful. We've kind of tapped into the conversation of healing your body with food on the podcast before, but I think this really shows, you know, the power of food to make you feel better and be able to function at your best. But what I love about empowered sustenance is not only that you discuss the physical level of how food can be healing for your body, but also on the mental level of the healing process and the journey of actually, you know, accepting what is happening to your body. Because I think really, even as you discussed, you know, you kind of have these, these dark days or these big dark moments that, it's hard to pull yourself out of or it's hard to move forward. It's hard to accept the situation. And I really love that this is something that you talk about on your blog is just the idea of the healing journey. And I would love if you could kind of walk the listeners through what it means on on sort of a, a more holistic level of, you know, what is the healing journey and and what does it look like since you are kind of able to, to really out, outline a, an almost an archetype, as as you say, to what it means to actually heal your body. 
I love this topic. I'm so glad you asked. Um, so I had a very significant mindset shift a couple years into healing. And it was the point at which I started blessing my body for the ways it spoke to me through pain. And before that, I was quite angry at my body. I blamed it for getting in the way of what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I thought it had turned on me. I felt like I couldn't trust it. I didn't know when it was going to flip out and flare up. And when I went deeper into the spiritual aspect of healing, I began to say, thank you, body, for telling me what I needed to change in my life. So body is always, always trying to talk to us. And we have to get to the point in the healing journey where we start saying, body, what are you trying to tell me in your own language? Instead of saying, hey, body, shut up. Or body, I'm going to give you medication to silence your symptoms. So I'm not inconvenienced by your voice anymore. So this for me is the purpose of the healing journey. This is why we, we come to a time where we face cataclysmic health problems. It's because we have this profound opportunity to hear the wisdom of the body, the body telling us how we need to change our life to live more fulfilled and even live really in better alignment to our soul. So a big piece for me was reading um, Joseph Campbell's work. He, he wrote a book called A Hero with a Thousand Faces. He studied mythology. He's a brilliant man, and he has such a heart of compassion. And what he found studying mythology across all culture was there was a commonality of the hero's journey, and it explained the psychological, the spiritual development that a person goes through as they become a hero in their own life. And this story should apply to every single person because we all have the capacity to become a hero to ourselves, and then after that, a hero to other people. And when I put this framework to my own healing process, I realized that the hero's journey is the healing journey. And if uh, we have the time right now, I'd love to give an overview of the different steps involved in that healing journey. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. I would love if you could walk us through it. Okay. So the first step in this archetypal path is what's called the ordinary life. And this is when we're living, quote, normally, but deep down, we feel not quite satisfied. We feel like there should be something more. So for me, my ordinary life was in high school where I was just kind of struggling through health conditions or my health symptoms. Um, you know, I distracted myself a lot with being a perfectionist in school and uh, just academically putting my nose to the grindstone. But I, I, I thought, there has to be something more than just getting straight A's. Like, is there something better in life? Is, do, do I have a greater purpose to put my energy to? So the second step is what is called the call to the journey. And this is where the body starts to talk to us in order to tell us, hey, look, there's a different uh, bigger reality that's calling to you. You have a bigger purpose here. But because we are afraid of change, because we're afraid to hear what the body has to tell us, because it's going to require great independence and immense courage to actually follow through with the body's requests, we um, take the third step, which is refusal of the call. Um, the call to the journey is often health symptoms that first rear their head. For example, it could be minor digestive problems, like I had chronic heartburn that came up, um, insomnia, anxiety, but things that didn't entirely disrupt my life. Then I refused the call because 
I went to a doctor's office and they gave me medication for those symptoms. This is silencing the voice of the body instead of um, asking the body, what are you trying to tell me? So we refuse the call as long as we say, body, don't talk to me. I don't want to hear what you got to say. The fourth step is crossing the threshold. This is the point of no return. For example, when I had to leave college and I felt like, well, that's it. Now my life is never going to be great because um, I'm giving up everything I ever imagined would make my life okay. Uh, so when we cross the threshold, we realize never again am I going to be able to go back to my ordinary life. Like maybe I really don't want to make this step forward, but I have to, I have no other choice. And it's basically stepping onto the golden brick road at this point. Like we step onto the healing journey. So step number five is support and temptations. The amazing thing about the healing journey, be it a physical journey to healing, spiritual, mental, emotional, is support will be provided. It's like a law of the universe. As soon as you step onto your healing journey, <laughs> the support's going to come like Dorothy ran into, you know, the straw man and the tin man. Um, so this can be a health practitioner. This can be a website or a book it's, or um, a guide, somebody who comes along to give you steps and information you need for your healing. But it's also a lot of the universe that temptation is going to come along. And I think that the greatest temptation we face on the healing journey is the temptation to call ourselves a victim to circumstances. And it's very challenging because often we're not sick. We're never sick because it's our fault. Like there are external circumstances that one can say, well, our soul called these circumstances into our life so we could learn, so we could have this experience. Um, but it's not like we got, we got sick at our own fault. We're living in a very sick earth that's been poisoned by generations before us and a sick culture that distorts our body image. Um, but it is still our responsibility to heal. Even though it's not our fault we're sick, unless we say it's my responsibility to get better, we don't get better. Um, and so, I, so in terms of the negative self-talk, the saying, I can't do this, I'm not strong enough to do this, I'm a victim to my circumstances, I think that's the greatest temptation that we can come across on the healing journey. So there's three more steps. Number six is facing the greatest fear. This is often represented in mythology as the character facing what would kill them or potentially even going down into the underworld, going down into hell, uh, dying to be rebirthed. So this is the, the place where we we think I if I make this choice, I'll never um, I'm not I'm not strong enough to make it or um, I will never be the same again. I won't be able to get through this, but we are always able to get through it. Um, so for me, I in giving an example from my own healing journey, I think that this was not in order after support and temptations, but I think facing my greatest fear was actually leaving college for me. Um, I had so much writing on, this is the way that I'm going to salvage my life. This is the way that I'm going to move forward in my life and be able to continue doing what I love to do, which is dance. Um, so I don't think that necessarily comes in order and it's different for everyone. Um, for, for some people it could be leaving the relationship they're in or getting a different job because the one they're in is killing their soul. Um, wherever your healing journey leads you. Number seven is resurrection. And this is finding the unique gift within ourselves. The gift that in a way allows us to save ourselves and then 
the gift that we bring to others. For me, I realized this gift through starting to blog. I realized that my writing was a way for me to feel connected with others, for me to feel my own purpose, and uh, it put a purpose to the struggle that I had been through. Um, and that, I mean, it really hit home when I, um, five years into blogging, where I am about now, I've had 35 million people read my blog. And if you told me this five years ago, like, Lauren, you're going to start writing about healing and nutrition, and it's going to reach 35 million people with information they can use in their life. I would not have believed that. Um, but, but coming into my writing and using it to support other people, that was the resurrection for me. Um, so that merges with step number eight, which is returning home. So this is taking your newfound gift and bringing it back into the world that you lived in. Um, so this is me finding my writing and then bringing it to other people. Um, this can be people who found other areas of their creativity through the healing journey and then they share that creativity with others. They build a business on it. They, build, um, they educate other people about it. They share their own story. So that completes the circle um, is returning home step number eight. And of course this cycle is continuous throughout one's life. It, it never stops. And um, I, th I kind of see it in co concentric circles. Like uh, it just continues to get larger and encompass the steps that you already took. So the healing never stops. And I really hope that is helpful to the people listening because I, it would have provided so such a sense of direction when I felt so lost. And that's why I'm so passionate about sharing this with other people. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure there are people listening who are going through a similar experience, whether it be an autoimmune disease or some form of chronic illness. And, you know, they're blaming themselves for it. They're blaming their body and they just don't even know how to move forward. So just walking through these steps is really, really powerful. But I wanted to kind of expand on a, on a couple pieces because I just think that they're, it's really something that I had never thought about before. But the first is just the idea that, you know, I, I think it's, it's really in the resurrection phase, just realizing that sometimes not necessarily it's, it's a blessing in disguise, but really that the, you're kind of on this greater journey that oftentimes that there, there is something and there is some purpose in why this is happening. And it's, greater than than what you can realize in the moment and I think that that's a piece that can be really helpful for people where in your case when you were 14 and diagnosed with an autoimmune disease I'm sure you had no idea that you were going to start a blog that was going to reach so many people and, and be so inspirational to so many but perhaps it was supposed to happen for a reason you know and I think that that's something that people should keep in mind as they're kind of going through these experiences that sometimes they're experiencing it for a reason. And I know that that's a, it's a hard thing to justify, but I'm wondering if that, you know, you've had that moment of sort of, wow, like I, I never asked for this. And yet this has, you know, ended up being one of the best things that has ever happened to me. Absolutely. This is how I see it, which is the purpose always exists it, but it's only later in the healing journey that we actually recognize the purpose of it. So it's not like the purpose manifests later. It's always present. The body always has a higher purpose for us and is keeping us in alignment to that purpose. But when we're in the early stages of the healing journey, we're simply refusing to see it. Um, and so I think knowing that, it gives us the faith we need to move forward on the healing journey because we're not moving forward into emptiness. We're moving forward to take the blinders off our eyes to the meaning of our life. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, the other point that I wanted to discuss was just sort of the last phase, the idea that part of the healing journey is actually helping others that sometimes you might not be, you know, quote unquote healed, but 
part of the healing process is to help others. And this is something that we've actually talked about on the podcast before. And it's something that has really stuck with me since this episode. I, I can't remember the number, but it was the episode with Natasha Adamo. Um, and we, we discussed the idea that sometimes, you know, what you need to move forward in your life is to actually be in a position where you're helping other people move forward in their life. And I'm wondering if you, you know, you've had that experience where, and like you said, it, it is a cycle and, you know, you start and you continue through it your your whole life essentially. But do you feel as though, you know, a lot of your healing has come from just being helpful to other people? I think that very critical to the healing journey is sharing your story because we often carry shame about our circumstances and we let that shame silence us. And so when we start to understand that by sharing our story, we free ourselves and we also free other people who are holding that same shame within themselves, that is immense healing for me. Um, so when I first started blogging, wasn't a problem for me to share my story about recovering from ulcerative colitis. But what I didn't share until I think a couple years in was that I had struggled with anorexia when I was 12. And it was very, very hard, dark time in my life. And I realized I was was so ashamed of saying I had used anorexia as a coping mechanism and of trying to get some control in my life when I felt no control. But when I shared that, I felt this weight lift off my shoulders. And then I started writing um, how I had healed and the mindset shifts that I made to recover from anorexia. And in providing that information, which I was originally very share, scared to share, uh, there was immense healing there for me and also for other people. So I can't remember who said this quote, but what we're most afraid, it essentially says, what we're most afraid to write, write that. I was most afraid to write about my anorexia. I was so ashamed of it. Um, but then when I wrote it, there was healing on both sides. Absolutely. I mean, that, that really resonates with me so much of my own journey and just, you know, growing up and becoming more comfortable with myself has been really, you know, publicly sharing a lot of my life on the internet, which is mm -hmm. a strange thing for me, but has also become incredibly cathartic. And I feel like I've, you know, really come into myself because I I don't carry nearly as much shame as I used to. And that is incredibly healing. So I totally resonate with that. I'd, I'd love to um, speak to that point because I want to articulate the difference of sharing our, quote, wounds um, for ourselves versus sharing our, quote, wounds for other people. And what I know you do and, and what I do also is we have to get to a degree of healing within ourselves before we start, in a way, sharing this publicly. And, and that's because um, when we write to serve other people and when we write for the purpose of healing other people, it's, it's not writing to say, um, give me attention. I'm writing this so you can give me attention. It's, I'm writing this to give you attention. I'm writing this to give your heart room to breathe because it never felt that space or freedom before. So maybe the, the, the writing itself could be the same, but the intention has to be different. We're not just serving ourselves. I think we have to approach it from, I'm taking a step of vulnerability and courage to give other people attention and not just get attention and wave my wounds like a flag above my head saying, look at how much I was hurt. Yes. I mean, that, that totally makes sense to me. I feel like oftentimes when I write about some topics that are taboo or that, you know, any of us feel shame around, while it is cathartic for me, that's not necessarily the reason that I'm writing it. I'm writing it because I think about 
the person that I needed to say this stuff to me when I felt really alone in it. And in the process, I end up, you know, helping helping me grow and and move through the shame and the wounds and and all of those feelings around that. But it's rarely for the purpose of just, you know, shouting from the rooftops, here's what was wrong with me and here's why I was ashamed of it. It's more, you know, here's what I went through and if you're going through it, I get it and I see you and I hear you and I know exactly how you're feeling. And that is why your writing is authentic and why it does touch the heart of people because you do have that intention. Well, thank you. (laughs) Same to you. But I do want to kind of jump into a conversation around health perfectionism. And I think, and, and maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but I could imagine, you know, having a history of an eating disorder and then, you know, having to use food as, as a mechanism to heal your body is, is hard because once you've been in a position of, of controlling what you eat and, you know, being in that mindset, but also, being on kind of the other side where you really do need to be careful about what you're eating because your body depends on it, it could kind of, you know, fall either way. It could potentially be a vicious cycle or fall into sort of a trap of of perfectionism. And I'm wondering if you can speak to whether, you know, you've had experiences like that. Definitely. What I, um, the mindset shift I want to give people about a nutrition protocol that is, quote, a restricted diet, um, is that it's not a restricted diet. It's a freedom diet. When I was anorexic, I used food, ironically, trying to get some some control or freedom, but it was really just a self-made trap. But when we're using food to heal our body and to realign our body with its own innate wisdom, we're on our way to freedom. It, we're, we're not restricting ourselves. We're freeing ourselves. And to speak to the point of health perfectionism, I had an article about how I call myself a re- recovering health perfectionist. And this was my realization that health, as trite as it sounds, is not a destination. You don't just go from unhealthy and to healthy and like throw in some supplements and the right diet in between there. And it's like plus plus equals health. So it's, it was really the mindset shift for me that health is not a math equation. There's, uh, there's no missing piece. Like we, even when we switch to a holistic mindset, we often will still search for that magic pill. Maybe it used to be a pharmaceutical magic pill and then no medications helped us. And so now we're starting to look for the right diet that's the magic pill or the right supplement that's the magic pill. And that if we find it, we're going to take it and we're going to be healthy. And I think that's the mindset of health perfectionism because that that missing piece doesn't exist and um, health is not a math equation. Uh, the healing journey is a journey. It's um, circular it's circuitous, it's ongoing. A quote that I love is from Caroline Meese, who's a a modern day mystic and an extraordinarily wise woman. She says something along the lines of healing isn't logical. So when we're health perfectionists, we think that healing is logical. We think it's a linear math equation. When we transcend that mindset, we realize healing involves forgiveness, which is absolutely not logical. It involves forgiving ourselves, forgiving our own bodies, forgiving other people. Um, And it it involves this very circular path of the healing journey. Yes. I love that you talk about this. And I think, you know, given so much of the information that we're being fed, you know, all over the internet and on social media, it's and, and so many people in a position where, you know, they they are quote unquote experts and well, they are certainly experts on themselves and they are absolutely welcome to share their journey and hopefully be helpful to other people. I think we can't lose this idea that we are our own health advocates and we are experts on ourselves. And while something might work for somebody else, it may not work for you. That doesn't mean, you know, 
let's give up, it doesn't mean that it won't work. It doesn't mean that it will work. But I think it's important for us to not constantly be searching and striving for that thing that's going to make us feel like we're, you know, shouting from the rooftops about how amazing we feel because, well, we all have moments like that where we feel great in our own skin. Like you said, it is a journey. It's not a destination. And life is constantly evolving. We are constantly evolving. And in the process, our needs and our wants and all of that will always change. And that's one of the beautiful things about life. But to think that there is like this one thing and it's going to remain that one thing that makes you feel amazing for the rest of your life is it's sort of delusional in a sense because no one is that fixed. Right. I see it as we're look, we're looking for certainty from somebody else, but certainty isn't an analytical process. It's something that we feel in our own body. And so unless we can come to trust our body with our life, to trust our to to trust our body enough to follow it, we're never going to have that felt experience of, I am certain this is the direction I need to take with my life. I'm certain I'm, this is what I need to do right now or say right now. I, I think what puts us on a path of health perfectionism is that deep soul need for certainty, but we displace it because it's never something that other people can give us through their directions or expertise. It's something we have to feel in our bones because we're listening to our body. Yeah, I totally, I totally get that. And I think that this is actually a really great transition into the conversation of energy medicine, because like you said, you know, health isn't always logical. It doesn't always make sense. And sometimes, you know, there are things that can't be explained. Um, But I do think that this ties in nicely to the idea of energy medicine, which is sort of a I don't, I don't want to say too out there, but I do think that there are elements of it that maybe aren't the most logical to how we come to understand medicine. Um, so I would love if you could kind of jump into that conversation about what energy medicine means and sort of what, you know, how people can incorporate that into their own health journey. I would love to talk about this. And you're right, it is such a perfect transition because energy medicine is not about analytical science because we currently lack the scientific instruments sensitive enough to measure subtle realms of energy. Energy medicine is a felt phenomenon. It's known through the body. The body is the only instrument sensitive enough to understand the healing power of energy. So I had my first experience uh, with energy medicine when I was 14, and my mom took me to my first alternative health practitioner in an effort to get get some other modalities besides just the medication my doctors were giving me. And she did a muscle test on me. So she did, um, just if you're familiar with any kind of finger muscle test, that's what she did, and then she put some... Uh, unrefined sea salt in my mouth and tested again to see that my body needed the minerals um, that was in the sea salt. And when she did the second test with that salt in my mouth, I felt life surging up through my body. It was like the life force at the center of the earth was running through me. It was strength that I had never experienced before. And I knew it was coming from somewhere outside of me that I was connected to. And in that moment, I realized that I wanted to introduce other people to this feeling. Like this is a, this is a strength and a felt sense of what's good for us. That is our birthright. But we don't have awareness that this information, this this way to know what our body needs is always available to us. So I thought, I am I need to make this available to people. I don't know how. Um, fast forward a few years. Uh, this year, I started um, an energy medicine company. Um, so it's called Mio Energetics, and I co-founded it with this incredible clinician and nutritional therapy practitioner and uh, nutrition teacher here in Seattle, um, John. So... At Mio Energetics, we share essential oil blends and flower essences that energetically balance certain regions of the brain. 
so a large part of introducing this company, especially to my blog readers, was sharing how energy medicine works. I like to lead with energy medicine is considered woo-woo. Like you said, it's kind of considered on the fringes, but it's really not. It's actually the most ancient form of healing. And if we look at the tradition of using energy for healing in all ancient cultures, the, the words that they had for subtle energy was, it was a universal concept that there was this felt life force energy, um, this energy that communicated with the body. So this idea of energy that we could communicate with and use to heal was as universal as words like father and mother and brother and sister. So this indicates that we have just forgotten this um, different dimension that offers so much healing to us, but that cultures who were very much in tune with nature and very much in tune with themselves were as aware of this energy as they were aware of the world with their eyes. It was as real to them as the world they saw with their eyes. But in our modern culture, we're so distanced from the wisdom of the body and really say reality is only what we see or can measure. And that disconnects us from a vast proportion of reality. So quick question. How, how is it that we're able to affect our energy? So your company um, offers things like brain oils and essences and things that are able to help balance our energy. And I'm wondering, and like you said, they're, they're, it's challenging to kind of measure this, but you've personally seen the effects and it has been around for thousands and thousands of years. So it obviously is an effective strategy, but on, you know, on a, a physical level, how might you be able to affect your energy? Absolutely. Um, great question. So the reason that we're able to offer these very unique formulations is because John is able to feel the energetic fields of the human body and the brain. And if we look at ancient cultures, all masters of, he of healing were able to feel this dimension of energy. So John can feel when that energy is in balance. He's created these blends to act like a tuning fork in a way, an energetic tuning fork that introduces a resonance that can help bring those brain regions into balance. And again, it's not something we can scientifically measure, but we can look at how people are responding. So we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clinicians before we launched our first product, we had um, like 300 nutritional therapy practitioners test our oil. It's called vagal tone. Um, it stimulates, it helps stimulate the vagal nerve. Um, they tested it on multiple clients and then gave us back a um, completed survey. And so we were gathering information from them and how it worked in their practice and what they saw from their their clients. So energy medicine, although it's not well suited for scientific measurement, is very well suited for um, how it works with, with um, the difference we can see with people or how people tell us they're feeling from it. Yeah, I mean, there is something to say for anecdotal research. You know, when things help people, that's powerful. And I, I think about it, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's sort of like how you could diffuse lavender essential oil and it might make you sleepy and help you sleep. Is it sort of that, that same idea where uh, aromatherapy and the effect of plants can actually influence the energy of our body? Well, we're using essential oils in a very different way than they're being used in other places. So the typical use of essential oil, like you said, is... Um, aromatherapy, so how it triggers the olfactory sense, and that actually that actually has repercussions in the brain. We have science that shows um, that the molecules going in through the nose can trigger the limbic brain. So there's the 
um, olfactory application. There's the topical application where the molecules in the essential oil are being absorbed into the skin and having a biochemical effect within the bloodstream and the body tissue. And this is what happens when you put lavender oil on a burn. And then there's the, this third way, which we call the energetic application of essential oils. And it's where the energy field of the oil is, like I said, used as a tuning fork um, or introduces its own uh, energy field to the energy field of our brain. So it's like almost like introducing an acupuncture needle. It's going to change the energy of the body. Okay. So, I mean, that makes sense to me. How, how do you apply it? Do you keep it in your space? What, like, how is it that it interacts with the energy of the body? Yeah. So that's a great question. The oil blends are applied topically to the region of the brain that we want to target. For example, we have an oil for focus, and this is applied to the hairline where the energetic field of the prefrontal cortex, part of the brain that governs our focus is. So it's applied topically, but with the purpose of interacting with the energy field rather than being absorbed into the skin and bloodstream. Got it. Okay. That totally makes sense to me. I'm definitely going to check it out. But I do want to jump into one more conversation before we have to hop off here because I am completely fascinated by this. Um, And it's the idea, um, and it's something that you talk about a lot, of of being an empath. And I was wondering if you could kind of expand on what that means. Absolutely. I learned the word empath when I was 19, and I thought, oh, well, this explains my life. Like, I wish I had learned this in in first grade. Um, And now empath is becoming a buzzword, but I'm glad that it's gaining popularity because I think it provides people with a greater understanding of how their body is interacting with their environment in a way that transcends their conscious mind. So an empath is a person who is sensing the energetic dimension of the world and it can affect their emotional state. So emotions from other people are transmitted energetically. Um, You know, we can also walk into a space where maybe previously people were fighting in here and we just walk into the room and we feel like, oh, what is off? This feels icky. Um, So those are all uh, empath sensibilities. You know, everybody is born an empath. We're all born with access to this subtle energetic realm. But for some people, it can be much more obtrusive in their life. Maybe we don't understand what's happening and we can't distance ourselves from the emotionality of other people. And we just, we feel kind of immersed in the other person's emotional turmoil. And that's very challenging. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially like being, you know, we all, we all in theory have the ability to empathize and to, and to a degree feel what other people feel, but this is almost an extreme version of that. And, and that, you know, can be a really powerful, amazing thing, but it can also be a really challenging thing because we can't control other people's emotional states and it's hard to have to, you know, take on that, that energy. So I'm wondering, you know, for people who identify with this, what are some ways of, of coping with it? You know, I, I use cope as though, um, as a way to kind of, you know, find strategies because even though it can be a great thing and it, it is to a degree almost a superpower, but on the other side, it, like I said, it can be really, really challenging. So what are some strategies you use to sort of work your way through these situations where you're maybe taking on emotions that you don't necessarily want to be feeling? Absolutely. I think the first thing to understand is that um, thanks to Newtonian physics, we, really, we have really been taught to believe that the physical world, what we see and touch and hear um, is the only reality. But actually, what we know from quantum physics is that um, what, what we think has a significant, significant um, 
implication on what reality actually is. So what we can do in our mental world is very, very powerful. And just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's, it's less important than the physical world in front of us. So when I understood this, um, I could give more credence to the idea that people say, oh, just imagine a bubble around yourself. Because before I was like, well, that doesn't seem very helpful. But by understanding that um, that actually has implications in the physical world, it it gives more um, it gives more weight and credibility to doing that. So I do think it's very very important for empath to to develop what's kind of called a, a morphic field. It's an energy field that's built up by repeating a thought or a visualization and it's a, a practice, it's something you build up like you build up a muscle and you want to build up your own bubble. You can imagine it as a, a bubble of white light around you and where only love can enter. And so that way the energies and emotions that are in your environment, um, they're only going to be filtered through this bubble and come in as love. Another, another thing that is very, very powerful is um, we carry one flower essence at Neo Energetics, and this is formulated for us by an amazing, she's an amazing intuitive. She basically lives in the jungles of Hawaii and creates flower essences, and she talks to plants. She understands and interacts with plant consciousness in a way that is profound. So she created this flower essence specifically for clearing the energy field so that it can, it can separate you. It can kind of wash the day off. And it's called Neuro Reboot. We have this on Mio Energetics. Um, and so this has been a game changer for me. I use it every time I come in my house just to clear the energy that has accumulated, I feel, from being out and about. I will use it in between meetings. I'll feel – I'll use it um, when I feel – like I'm being affected by the electromagnetic frequencies in the environment um, because that can also take a toll on our energetic field. So those are the two steps that have made the biggest difference for me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing those because, you know, I don't know that I fully understand what it means to be an empath. I, I guess I understand, but I don't personally uh, feel that that same level um, I definitely am a highly sensitive person, um, which I've understood to be different from an empath, that most empaths are highly sensitive people, but not all highly sensitive people are empaths. So um, I think that, that I fall more on sort of the, the highly sensitive person sort of realm where I'm very sensitive to energy, to other people's energy, but I'm not necessarily taking on other people's energies. But to me, it's important that I do clear my space and, you know, through things like saging or even just some form of like mindfulness. And I don't, I don't always know if sort of the act of saging or, or even, you know, using one of your flower essences for me, I don't know as how powerful it would be in terms of like changing the electromagnetic field. I, I believe it, but I don't know that I necessarily can understand that. But what I do understand is is sort of mindfulness and the idea that like for me, clearing the space is clearing my mind and that's really powerful for me. So on sort of the electromagnetic level, I'm not sure that I totally understand that or how effective it is. But for me, any kind of just like clearing the space can be really powerful because I, I feel that energy. I totally get what that means and that totally resonates with me. So I'm definitely going to be putting in an order for that. So thank you so much for sharing that and just sharing your story. I think it's really, really powerful. And I think that there's a lot of people who are listening right now who are suddenly realizing, oh my goodness, I think I might be an empath. I'm so glad you asked that question for that reason. Um, it's It's feels like self-education 101 to understand um, how our bodies can be taking on energy that's not ours. So I'm really glad that you can bring that to awareness. Well, I'm really thankful for you because you were the first person who introduced me to this conversation. Oh, so great. yeah, so I like, I didn't, I, I had always grown up feeling like I was taking on 
things that were using my energy, but I couldn't really explain what it was. And I would just, I'm just very sensitive to environments and to people around me. I pick up on things and I analyze things too much. And, and that can be really challenging for me to just kind of focus on me and what I need because I'm so distracted by all of these things that are happening around me. So just hearing somebody, you know, put a term to it or explain it in a way that makes sense to me has been really, really helpful. Great. And I'll say just one more thing. I really want to leave people with that the understanding that energy hygiene is as important as personal hygiene. Like it should be just as much a part of your day and a part of your awareness, what's happening in your energy field and your emotional field and how you're being affected by the energies and emotions in your environment. That is just as important as taking a shower every day. Totally. Well, thank you so much for jumping into that. But I do want to cover our hot seat questions before we run out of time. So these are the questions that I ask to every guest who comes on the show. And I just love being able to hear people's answers and compare them. So if you're ready, I'm going to jump in. Sure thing. Cool. So the first question is, what's the one health habit you can't live without? I have affirmation mirrors. So I will write in a dry erase pen and fill every available mirror space in my home with affirmations that say things like, I am enough, or you've got this, Lauren. I love you, Lauren. Um, right now, I'm I'm writing a book, and so I have on every mirror, thank you for writing your book, Lauren. And uh, I, I really feel this changes, um, this changes our perspective and our mindset, and as a consequence, it changes our biology. Awesome. So the next question is, is there a business or a business person who you look up to? Somebody who I greatly admire is Elizabeth Gilbert, and she's had an astonishing career. She's an incredible author, and um, I, I really want, <laughs> I want to emulate her career. But I also greatly admire how articulate um, she is and how courageous she is in living her life according to her soul commands. And I had one time the privilege of being in a live workshop with her. Um, and uh, that was just a life-changing experience. She's an incredible woman. Wow. I'm, I mean, I'm envious. That sounds like an amazing experience. And I do think she must, she must be an empath to some degree because she is just so in tune with humanity and, and how humans feel things that, I mean, she must on some level have an understanding that goes beyond the average person. Yeah, she gets to deep truths. Yeah, totally. So my next question is, what advice would you have for your 20-year-old self? Um, I'm 24 now, so this would be like four years ago. And uh, I would tell myself to, instead of being afraid of my, quote, negative emotions, um, like anger or jealousy or shame, I would tell myself to follow those emotions into the light, um, especially... Uh, growing up in a culture where we're kind of told to repress our emotions or especially for women, like don't explore your anger, like just keep that bottled up. Um, but there is so much value. We get to our soul by fully feeling our emotions and asking our emotions again, what are you trying to tell me? Or emotions, let me see you in the light. So I, I think that's a, that's a question it would have been helpful if I were asking earlier in my life. Yeah, I, I'm really going to take that to mind next time I'm sort of either feeling an emotion or some kind of physical attribute that I maybe don't want to be feeling, um, that maybe there is a greater reason why this is happening and, and to work through it rather than avoid it. So my next question and last question is, what advice do you hope to get from your 50-year-old self or your older self? Like, What do you hope that you you will have learned when you're older that you haven't quite learned yet? Uh, just relax. Like I, uh, I'm definitely a go, go, go person. And, um, part of it is because I'm feeling my purpose and my passion in life more than I ever thought I, I would. Uh, but what I need to hear from my older self continually is like, Hey Lauren, what you are meant to create is going to take care of yourself you're not carrying the entire responsibility. All you can do is just show up and trust that what is meant to be is, is going to take care of you and is going to take care of itself. And I specifically, I'm coming back to this message over and over. Um, 
I'm writing a book right now and it's the book idea that I've literally been waiting for my whole life. And I felt like I've been pregnant with this idea for the past five years without knowing what it is. And so there's so much energy about writing it and sharing it and also stress like, oh my goodness, can I do this? Is it going to be good enough? When is it going to be done? And so I just have to keep telling myself, hey, it's going to take care of itself. I always find it so fascinating that the things that we can be the most passionate about and feel the most called to do can also be a source of stress in our yeah. lives. Um, it, it's hard to really just feel so much emotion, positive emotion about something and not, you know, take on the negative emotion of it. Absolutely. But like you said, we got to work through it. There is a reason for it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, where can the listeners find out more about you and your journey? My health website is empoweredsustenance.com. And then um, Mio Energetics, the energy medicine company with essential oils and flower essences, uh, meoenergetics.com. And then through those respective websites, you can find social media links. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on the show today. I am so honored to have you as a guest on the show. What you've accomplished so far in your life is truly phenomenal. And I think that you are on this journey that is going to help so many people. So I'm just really grateful to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. I totally enjoyed my conversation with you. And I think that you're offering a gift of healing by sharing this podcast. Thank you. So as I'm sure you picked up, we covered a lot of ground in this episode. So if you guys want to keep the conversation going, I would love to chat about, I mean, basically everything we talked about on the show, but especially like what it means to be an empath and this sort of health perfectionist notion. For me, the the archetype of the healing journey is fascinating and I'm trying to kind of grasp it. So, you know, anyone who is struggling with chronic illness, I think that this would be a really interesting conversation if I could have that with you because I would love to just learn more about your experience because it's something that I'm not familiar with. So the THM Tribe is a great place to do that. It's just facebook.com slash groups slash THM Tribe. And if you're not into Facebook groups, I totally understand I'm all across social media and love when you guys send me messages or emails or however you want to get in touch with me. It's just really, really nice to be able to talk with you guys. I always say that that is by far the most gratifying part of my job and the stuff that I love most. And if I could, you know, respond to every single person, I would, though I actually do my best to to try and do that. And I know this is something that a lot of bloggers or anyone who has kind of an online presence really struggles with is how to you know, manage these conversations with readers or listeners or whoever it may be. And for me, it is the best part of what I do. So I always try and make time for that. So would really love to connect. And yeah, I mean, otherwise, please leave a review on iTunes, like I mentioned in the intro. I also have a question for you guys, if you want to answer it for me, either in the tribe or on Instagram, I'll try and remember to post like a prompt asking you. Um, But do you guys like the Q&A episodes? Or would you prefer to have those done in video form? So I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to answer a lot of the questions that I get from you guys on the podcast or in videos. I just can't tell which one you prefer if you like seeing me say them or if it's just more convenient to hear them over a podcast. So just let me know. I will try and drop a prompt for you guys so that I can get your answers. But otherwise, stay tuned next week. We have an awesome episode with my friend. Her name is Alexa Mazzarello and she is a photographer from Vancouver. I met her because she ran an incredible series called Body Thoughts that was all around body image and increasing conversations around body image. So I think it's going to be a really powerful episode for a lot of you guys because I know this is a conversation that comes up a lot. So definitely stay tuned for that same time next week. So until then, have a wonderful week. I'll talk to you then. 